Morning, church. Great job, Jaden. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. I'd like to get things started this morning by asking a question that you don't need to raise your hand to. Who's experienced some conflict this week that stole your peace, stole your joy? Did that occur in your teen's room? Did that occur in your bedroom? Did it occur in the boardroom or the locker room? The truth is, peace-stealing conflicts can be found anywhere, but I think the place where you find them most consistently and where maybe they occur most significantly is between our ears, in the brain room. Maybe before we can offer peace to any other circumstance outside of our own mind, maybe it's important that we start trying to find some peace in that brain room. Now, I say all that because I'd like to invite you to listen in on a peace talk that a well-known Christian trainer and teacher from our past shared with a group of Christians in a little town called Philippi. I've listened to it myself, and I've, I've been deeply impressed that it's something that God's wanting me to share with our church. Now, you need to know that before this man gave peace talks to Christians and before he was a peacemaker of Christians, Paul was a peace stealer. How? By the simple fact that he hunted Christians down and attempted to eliminate them from the planet. This is until the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself, met him on a road just outside a little town called Damascus. Most of you are familiar with that little incident. Jesus had a conversation with this Christian terrorist. And it changed his life forever. Because the one who had a conversation with him was dead. He'd heard of him, maybe even seen him crucified knew that his body was taken down, placed in a tomb, and here he was talking with him about somehow thwarting God's intentions on the earth. And in that moment, the one whom Paul was convinced was a threat to his faith in God now became the foundation of his faith in God. And so God chose him, actually God's son chose him, if you want to be specific, to become the spokesman for the gift that Jaden was just reading about in John 14. I want to be absolutely clear this morning. Sometimes maybe I'm not, but, but here's exactly what I hope you take away this morning. And it starts with this. Brother, you can win the war over worry. Sister, you can say goodbye to anxiety. All of us can say goodbye, maybe to a word you don't use that much, to the frets. We'll talk about that one in a few moments. Because I want you to know this morning in no uncertain terms, God wants to write a new chapter in your life that is marked by nothing less than increasing peace and diminishing panic. Now, please don't get me wrong. Anxiety comes with life, but life doesn't have to be dominated by anxiety. And God wants you to know that he has a prescription for inner peace that is very, very real. Here it is. To Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always, he said. Again, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. I've highlighted that. Won't you read that with me? Do not be anxious about anything. One more time. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul writes. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. If you do this, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Wow, that's quite the promise, God. And we are not the only ones leaning into that, hoping it's true. 
wanting to believe it's true. And we will try, but help our unbelief, all right? We also are joined by, I know, the Salvation Army who ministers alongside us here in this community. And we lift up the worship that's going on at their place. As they lift up praises to God, as they lift up prayers and petitions, as they, as they break bread in your name, God, we know they are equally as in need of this peace that you say passes all understanding that can be ours. Together in one voice we're asking, would you please, through the power of your spirit, make that known among us. We know if there's anything this country needs, it needs a sense of peace. Some anxiety-free zones. Some stress-free places that they can go to and be a part of. Would you please help us be a beachhead for that in our community, in our country? For we ask it in Jesus' name and everyone's said. Friend, I don't know what you've heard. I don't know how you lived. But I wanted you to hear from God. Peace is possible for you. Wholeness is possible for you. Joy is possible for every single one of you. Now, I know full well that I'm saying that to some folks who've never known peace, really, or who maybe have been through a stretch of time now where you've forgotten what, what this peace that Paul's talking about here even, even remotely feels like. But you know anxiety, that low-grade fear that just won't go away, that edginess, that cold wind that just will not stop howling. It's not so much a storm, but a hunch that almost with certainty that there's always going to be another storm, and it's close. Sunny days are just an interlude, at least some of you believe, which is why a person can't relax in life. You can't enjoy the sun too much. You can't let your guard down. Peace is just temporary. It's short term. It's not so much the sight of a grizzly bear, but it's a suspicion of one. Behind every turn, behind every two turns, three turns, ten turns, behind every bend, behind every tree. There's trouble out there, I'm telling you. It's just a matter of time for that grizzly bear to, to leap out of the trees and gobble you and your kids and your friends and your church and your country up. So you don't sleep well. You don't laugh much. You don't enjoy the sun when it is shining. And if you see someone else walking down the street and they're whistling, you're convinced it's just probably another trust fund baby. Don't they understand that bull markets go bare? Planes fall out of the sky. Haven't they heard the news? Haven't they seen the studies, read the statistics lately? The other shoe always falls. It's just a matter of time. No, for many of us, we don't know peace. We don't know. We really don't know joy. But we're familiar with worry. It's a meteor showers of what ifs. What if we don't get the job? What if the loan doesn't come through? What if we can't afford the braces for the kids and they grow up with crooked teeth? And what if because of their crooked teeth they wind up with no friends and no mate? And because of that trauma they wind up on the street with a sign that says, My parents didn't buy me braces. We know the frets. My nanny could fret. My grandmother on my mother's side, she lived in Comanche, Texas, and used the word all the time. It's a redneck term for worry. And she was the poster child for fretting. She could fret about anything and with the best of them. She'd fret about the cow going dry. She'd fret about the hay being too wet. She'd fret over Uncle Gus getting the gout from eating too much chicken fried steak. And she'd also fret about him getting the runs from eating too many grapes. She's fretting about everything. Sometimes my nanny fretted herself right into the bed for days. You been there? You may not have ever used the word fret, but you know the frets. It's, 
It's part Chicken Little and it's part Eeyore. It's part thinking the sky's falling and it's part thinking it's falling disproportionately on me. Call it worry, call it the frets, but Paul refers to it here in our text as anxiety. That free-floating sense of dread that you just can't shake. That, that ill-defined sense of dread of things that might sometime happen in the future. That's anxiety. Now, anxiety is not the same as fear. Fear, by contrast, is an awareness of a concrete threat. Not imagined, but concrete. Fear is a response to an object or an event that threatens with certainty, like fearing the ACT test because you haven't studied. <laughs> That's real. Or fearing a job review because your attitude this year is stunk and you know it. Or fearing the gun that's being aimed at you because there's a possibility it could shoot you because it could. You're afraid that you will not be able to pay the rent this month because there's more month left than there is money left in the checking account. Fear is a concrete threat that you're going to face. Fears are real. Anxiety, however, is vague. It's distant. It's not necessarily logical. It's just that nagging thought that something bad always happens to me and I'm due. Fear results in fight or flight. Anxiety results in gloom and doom. Fear is the pulse rate that races when you see a snake under a bed at a men's retreat, hypothetically. <laughs> anxiety is the fear, however, of ever setting foot in another bunkhouse anywhere in the world because somewhere there could be a snake that would bite me. That's anxiety. Both serve a function in our lives, but fear and anxiety are very different. Listen to me, anxiety will steal your sleep, or maybe you know that. Anxiety will ruin your appetites for food or sex. Anxiety leads to stiff necks, clenched jaws, overactive or inactive bowels. It makes our eyes twitch. It makes our blood pressure rise. And it makes our armpits sweat. You want to see? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> One doctor said, if you want to see the consequences of worry, read about half the ailments in the medical textbook. We believe it. No wonder the wise man Solomon said, worry weighs a person down. It may not steal our life, but it certainly steals our joy. And chances are some of you know struggles with anxiety, or you know someone who is struggling with it right now. According to the National Association of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions in our country. In any given year, 17% of Americans will experience a panic attack. Our chest will tighten, we'll feel a little bit dizzy, maybe lightheaded, we'll avoid crowds, even the people that we know love us. According to mental health experts, anxiety problems are the number two ailment among men and women in our nation. Number one is problems of drug abuse and alcohol abuse. The U.S. is now the most anxious nation in the world. Reading from one researcher, stress-related ailments cost our country $300 billion in either medical cost or lost productivity. So sedatives have become our go-to drug. Between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medication like Xanax and Valium. Those sales have grown from $900 million in 1997 to $9.2 billion in just seven years. According to the American Medical Association, our generation is three times more likely to suffer depression than the last generation. And those in the next generation are three times more likely to suffer more depression than we do. Why is this? Our cars are safer than ever. Our water standards have never been more stringent. Crime is a part of our culture, but most of us go to sleep at night without any thought of being attacked or harmed. Yet to look at our emotional state, you'd think that we were living in a battle zone. Curiously, men and women of less developed nations, researchers tell us, have far less stress than we do. But when these people immigrate to America, they tend to just come right up to the standards we have. They're as anxious as anybody. God, please bless America. 
Something about our way of life is making us less calm and composed, and I think we just got to the point where we really, really, really need to get honest about this. At least your preacher feels so. I mentioned a few moments ago that in any given year, 17% of Americans will experience a panic attack. Guess what that number is south of our border in Mexico? 6.1%. Two-thirds less. No wonder James Taylor wants to go to Mexico. The news gets worse. Now, I don't mean to worry about this, but it really does get worse. The UCLA studies that our shows that our college kids are more stressed than ever. The study involved over 200,000 incoming freshmen, and it reported all-time lows in mental health stability. Robert Leahy reported that the same high school kid today has the same anxiety level of the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. How is that possible? Kids have more toys and they have more tools leaving high school than ever before, but they leave high school wrapped tighter than an Egyptian mummy. Why? If we haven't been asking, I think we need to. Why so much anxiety? For starters, never has there been a society that's experienced so much change. Sociologists are telling us that this society has seen more change in the last 30 years than in the previous 300. We've moved from travel by horses to cars that drive themselves. From communication by letters which took days to email and Snapchat and text that just takes seconds. From storing our data on cards. I did that in college. And now we're storing it in the cloud, whatever that is. Surgeries that meant a week in the hospital now just mean hours. It is a changing world, and we have so recognized that here, at least on some degree, that we've made up a song here at Kerrville Church of Christ. Matter of fact, we sang it in the hospital when we visited James yesterday. If you're visiting with us, it's easy to learn, and I want to help teach it to you. Um, it's got a catchy little tune. Help him out, church. Here we go. Sing with me. Things change. Some of you have forgotten. Let's, let's remind them, okay? Here we go. Everybody together. Things change. Now the second verse. Things change. Same as the first, but they do. We've seen so much change in the realm of technology, but even more so, have you noticed, in moral values. We've seen world climate change. We've seen terrorism now become a part of our vocabulary, as well as the term mass shooting. We're made aware of catastrophic news more quickly than ever. Every news cycle, it seems, whether it's on the computer or whether it's on the television, is filled with earthquakes, killings, and offhand remarks of leadership that should have never been made or tweeted, ever. And today, those news bites arrive in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. Fifty years ago, it would have taken days, maybe a month, to hear about any of that. And now it arrives in seconds. Here's the result. We just don't have time to process our senses and our minds are overloaded with information, good or bad. We are just tapped out. In addition to all that, we have the regular stuff of just being a human being. <laughs> we get sick. We get cranky. We struggle at work. We have health issues. And many of us are reminded daily that these bodies of ours are getting weaker and older. And none of that's easy. Change just comes at us from so many angles and it's enough to make any one of us anxious so much so that you have to wonder is apostle paul kidding when he says this <laughs> do not be anxious about what's the word anything <laughs> really i mean i would have just settled for him saying don't don't worry as much but almost in commandment language to those of us who are christ followers he says i don't want you anxious about anything wow now, he uses a word here that means to divide the mind, if you want to look at the literal meaning of the word anxious. Paul says, don't let your mind be chopped up into many pieces. 
Translation, don't let yourself be caught up in yesterday or tomorrow so that you can't live in today. And that's easy to say and that's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, come on, I mean, it's the past that brought me to the present and I, I certainly have to plan at least a little bit for the future. How do you do that well? Not have this divided mind, not have this state of anxiety. Well, maybe the tense of the Greek word will help a little bit. We don't do this a lot here, but the tense here means a perpetual state of anxiety. See, anxiety or worry comes with life. It's just a natural part of it. But what Paul's referring to is a life that's not dominated by it. It's not driven by it. It's not consumed by it. Another translation reads this way. I think this is better. Don't be over-anxious about anything. He's talking about this perpetual pattern of anxious thoughts and negative thoughts that just steal our lives away. And if not lives, our joy, all right? Worry's a bit like nitroglycerin. In small doses, it's actually good for your heart. But in large doses, it can cause an explosion with much, mucho collateral damage. Now, worry in and of itself is not a sin, but it can lead to sin. We know that. Some of you experienced it this week. It can cause us to act in such a way that does not honor God and certainly hurts other people. So, maybe you're wondering what Jesus says about this. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 34, he says, Be careful of your hearts. Watch them closely. Guard them closely. Don't let them be weighed down with the anxieties of life. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he warns us to be on the lookout for when anxiety is, is overwhelming us. But you know what I love even more? That he invites us to come to him for a solution. In Matthew 11 and verse 28 he says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Learn from me. For I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls here. Are you laughing less? Are you worrying more? Would your friends say that you're always seeing the negative now these days? Never the positive. Are you fearing of running out of money so you become less generous? Do you resent the success of others? If given the chance, would you avoid interaction with any other human being if it was possible? Jesus says, have I got an antidote for your anxiety? It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. I agree with Max Lucado. I think it ought to be nominated for the Scripture Hall of Fame right up there with John 3.16 and Psalms 23 and Romans 8.28. We're going to be looking at this section of Scripture for the next 10 weeks. And so I want you to get used to not just seeing it, especially here. I want to invite you to join me in it. We're going to read it together right now with, with one voice together. I'm not going to repeat it. You're going to read it with me, okay? So what I'd like you to do is sit up straight, wake up. Hello, nudge them. Wake up. Shoulders back. Lungs full of air. Heart full of hope. Let's say it together. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can I ask, ask you to commit to something? Would you read that every day for the next 10 weeks? Think about it. But if you'll commit to that, would you read that little section every day for the next 10 weeks? If you'll commit to that, do so by nodding like this. Okay, now we have a responding camera going. <laughs> We're taking note of those who didn't know. No, let me take it up to another level. Would you memorize that with me? Hopefully so that we can say this without use of any transparency or any PowerPoint in about 10 weeks. 
What I'm asking you to do for the next 10 weeks is an experiment. When you sense the anxiety rising, when you sense that you're fretting to the point of destroying the moment and destroying the day and destroying your family, would you, for the next 10 weeks, use this as your antidote for that? Would you turn to this Word of God and just read it for a second? Maybe pray over it for a second and see what God does. I believe, empowered by the Holy Spirit, these words are nothing less than God's antidote for anxiety in our world. They really do. Rejoicing is key. We're going to see that. Gentleness is key. Remembering the Lord is at hand is key. Prayer is essential. God has provided, I'm telling you, an arsenal here that will help you win the war over worry. Now, I know some of you have worried so long you can't imagine a day without it. Well, there's a new day that's awaiting you, friend. I promise you. It is not God's will that you lead a life of perpetual anxiety. It's not. It is not His will that you face every day with dread and trepidation. It is not. Don't take my word. Take Jesus' word. I've told you these things. Now, He's saying them, but they're coming through my mouth today. I've told you these things, Jesus said, so that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome this world. Now, we're going to be realists here. God's not promised us a trouble-free life, but he has promised us help to face those troubles with peace. Peace. That's the message of the book of Philippians, the entire book, but specifically this little section in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. I think together we're going to discover that through these four verses, we're going to see five admonitions that lead to one promise, and that is a peace that passes all understanding. I don't have to make this up, but it is my responsibility to share it, point you to it, and see that we walk in it. So don't be difficult, all right? <laughs> get that little verse, put it on your bathroom mirror, get it on your phone so it's the first thing that you see. But for the next 10 weeks, not forever, but for the next 10 weeks, let's experiment to see if the truth can set you free from anxiety and the frets. And this nagging worry that just will not go away. Jesus says anxiety comes with life, but it does not have to master your life. Because I'm with you. Dallas Willard, will close with this, told the story of a little boy who couldn't sleep one night. Because outside a storm was raging. And so he climbed into the side of his dad's bed. But still he had trouble sleeping. So he nudged his dad and says, Daddy, is your face looking at me? And his dad said, yes, I'm looking at you. And knowing that his dad was looking at him enabled him to relax enough to fall asleep. I remember being raised with God being this all-seeing eye that was watching me. And I kind of tended to take that as kind of a negative. But the older that I've grown and the more that I've grown in the grace of Christ and the more that I've gotten to actually know Christ and, and this spirit of his and, and this father of mine, it really has been revealed to me in my heart that I have a God who is looking at me. And he's looking at you. And he doesn't have a scowl on his face. And he doesn't have a frown on his face. Listen to me, friend. He has love on that face. And his arms are extended to you. And he's hoping. He is, he's hoping that he brought some of you here today to start believing you can find peace right here, right now in your life. Amazing joy right now in your life, in him. Father, we come to you this morning, and again, we, we believe, but can we just be honest? We have experienced so many difficult things. 
We don't know what to do with some of the stress and anxiety and fear that comes with it. But, but as, a, as a community of people who are going to gather around this little truth you've given us through the Apostle Paul, we're asking, would you please expand our hearts to experience this peace that passes all understanding? We need it. <laughs> we know our, our, our community needs it. We know our country needs it. And so we're, we're inviting you. Could we be a beachhead for that? Holy Spirit, we're, we're, we're asking, no, we're pleading with you. Could we experience a different level of peace in the next couple of days and weeks that we've never known? Joy that we have never known. Your word promises that it's real. We want to be not just purveyors of that promise. We want to be people who've experienced it. Testimonies, living testimonies of it. And if some people have come here today, Father, they've, they've never met this Prince of Peace. But they're ready. You've been loving on them through some Christians. You have been working some circumstances in their life. And, and they're ready to put their trust and hope in this Prince of Peace. They want it. They're tired of the anxiety. They're tired of the worry. Would you help them come today to you? We'll be your hands and your feet. We'll help be the arms that wrap around them to pray for them. Or to even hear them as they say they're, they're ready, like Paul, to make you Lord of their lives. You can only do that. So, Spirit, do your best work while we, while we sing these songs of praise. In Jesus' name, and everyone said.